I really watch the upstairs, uh, the balcony, as they do their greeting time. Oh, there I see. You see some of the grandparents up there. Maybe got a chance to look at some photos. Good morning once again, and welcome to those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We're blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning. And now we will have our call to worship. Please rise and join me. The call to worship is taken from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you His servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, but now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it is set, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless women in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now let us sing with the praise team. Forever open the eyes of my heart and be thou my vision.
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy, his unfailing love, lasts forever. At least five books of the Bible have that recorded in there. At least seven times in those five books it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Father, we ask that you open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see you each day in each event that we have, to know how good you are. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Lord God. May we trust you. May we trust you in everything that is happening to know that you are a good, good father. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for gathering us together to worship you. Lord, it is a privilege to come into your presence as the body of Christ. And it's a privilege that we are not worthy of, Lord. And it constantly amazes me that you choose to love us every single day. You invite us into relationship with you, even though we are wretched, poor, and broken sinners. And it's not because of anything that we've done. You sent your perfect and sinless son to die on the cross for us. And it's only through his sacrifice and his shed blood on the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins and brought into relationship with you, Lord. God, there are so many specific things that we could pray for this morning. And we're grateful that you know all of those things. But this morning, I want to lift up our marriages and families and kids to you. God, you've designed marriage to be a reflection and a representation of Christ's love for the church. You've given us the gift of family to have people around us to do life with and to constantly point us to you. And you've given us children to love and to train up to be your disciples. But Lord, we know that the enemy is trying to attack families and marriages and children all around the Lord, even here in our own community. God, help us to recognize the attacks of the enemy and to fight back with our fight back for our marriages lord knowing that you fight with us help us to raise our shields and to protect our children lord from the things that they should not know at young ages father god i pray that you would help us to fight for our families for our kids for our marriages lord and knowing that we fight with you that we stand on your word that we can fight back because you are the victorious king of kings and lord of lords lord and you win every single battle father god there are also a lot of people in our community that are going through painful times and seasons in life we pray for those that have lost loved ones recently we ask that you would be present with them as they grieve comfort them lord and reveal yourself to them um, and just wrap your arms around them lord we also pray for those are that are facing scary health concerns lord and they're they're nervous and they're anxious for what the doctors are going to say and the appointments are going to reveal but lord you are the great physician you know what's going to happen lord you know how to heal our bodies because you designed them and so, God, I pray for anyone who is facing health, health struggles, Lord, that you would remind them that you are a good father and you are the great physician and that you can work in and through their situation, Lord. Father God, I pray for others here that might be carrying heavy burdens or just coming in feeling drained and needing a breath of fresh air from you, Lord. Father, I pray that your spirit would bring, breathe life into their hearts this morning. Father, as we continue to worship you, we ask that you would keep our hearts and our minds focused on you, that you would open our ears to what you have for us this morning and help us to obey the things that we hear. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'll have the kids come forward for children's chat. My notes together here. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? 
down. It's officially long sleeves season, maybe long sleeves with shorts. It's all good. A little cooler this morning. How are you guys all doing today? Excited? Excited for fall, excited for weather? There's a couple. There's just a couple. Too soon. Yeah, that's great. The leaves are starting to change colors. That's so good. That's great. Well, guess what? Today's Bible story is from a book called Ecclesiastes. Does anyone know what Ecclesiastes means? <laughs> Me neither. I have no idea. I have no idea. But we're going to hear in the story today about a couple different things. So we're going to get started here. I'm going to pick up a couple things here. I brought some, some things along, and you tell me what you think. So what's this guy here? And what, what do we use a pencil for? Writing. Okay. And especially now that it's fall time and we're all back to school, what do you use your pencil for? Do you have a lot of stuff to do sometimes in the evenings? Are you doing, yeah, math? Are you ever doing homework? You have, who has homework? You ever have homework? My kids love, they come home now. Now I start to have homework. Apparently it's a second grade thing where we have to write a letter back to the second grader. So I was happily told that I had homework. So a pencil, does homework ever seem to end? You do the homework on Monday night and then you might have more homework Tuesday night and then you get homework Wednesday night. Doesn't homework just, just, just never end, does it? Does it feel like that sometimes? Yeah. And you know what? I actually thought about this. This last January was the first time that I didn't go back to school or do school stuff in like 30 years. My life has been on a school schedule the school year for 30 years. So talk about feeling like you're on a treadmill. So never ends. Never ends. It's important, but it just never seems to end. What's this guy? A key. Now, it's important what the key goes to. Does it look like a house key? Yep, it's a lawnmower key. How many of you mow the yard? Soon, yes, yeah, soon enough. Okay, how many folks have your mom, your mom, dad, or grandma, grandpa mow the yard? Oh, yeah. And guess what? Do they kind of, do they like to mow the yard? Yeah? Do you like to mow the yard? They maybe like to mow the yard at the beginning of the year. In the spring, it's kind of exciting. And guess what happens by the middle of the summer? Oh, I got to go mow the yard again. And it just never ends. I mow the yard on one week, and you know, whether it rains or not, it seems to grow enough to start looking shabby, and i got to mow it again. So just like you're doing your homework over and over and over and just never gets done, mowing the yard. Mowing the yard just never gets done. Maybe we'll have some frost here soon. That'll slow us down. Okay. How about this one? Screwdriver. Screwdriver. What do you use this for? Building stuff, fixing stuff. Yeah, this is a fancy one. It's got, okay, you can turn it around so you can get flathead and Phillips, and I think there's some other ones in the handle. The point is, stuff is always breaking, at least around my house anyway. I always have something to fix, you know. Like I get one machine, I try to use it, and then it breaks. I go to the next machine, and it breaks, and then I go to another machine, and it breaks, and I just take a break. <laughs> so there's stuff is always just breaking down, it seems, right? And that's just a part of life. It never ends. I weld this, I fix this, I replace the belt, I change the oil. And there's still something always to fix. It just never ends, does it? No matter how much we try, it just keeps going. How about this one? Money. money. Yeah. You guys are going to learn more about money as you get older, okay? But where do you guys get your money now? The bank. The bank? That's good. We should get more of our money from the bank. Because you're right. You guys do chores? Maybe a little bit? How about like birthday cards? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe a little, maybe a little Easter egg hunt. And you got a couple, you know, some quarters rattling around in there. Okay. So the point is, this is maybe for the grown-ups. Is sometimes it feels like we are just getting up every day and we're going to work and we're working hard and we're trying to make a dollar, and then we're going to go home and we're going to spend that dollar. You know, we're going to make a dollar today and we're going to spend it that night. And it just seems like a never-ending cycle. It just goes on and on and on. We never have enough. We make the money, we spend the money. You make the money, you spend the money. You do the homework, you get more homework. You mow the grass, you mow the grass again. You fix something, you fix it again. What's this little guy? Yeah, and it's supposed to be a tiny little laundry basket, right? Wouldn't that be nice if we only had laundry baskets this big? Okay. How is that laundry? Who does laundry at your house? And do they do it like once a year and then they're done? It's like Christmas? Like putting the Christmas tree up? How, or how, do you do laundry... Do they go do laundry a lot? Like how much laundry? Like how often? Every day? A thousand? Yeah, we got to do laundry every day? Someone do laundry today and do laundry tomorrow and the next day? It just never ends. Oh my goodness. We're talking about all these things that just go on and on. It talks about how these things we do on earth are kind of not very important. In fact, the, the Bible story says they're meaningless They really have no purpose or real value when we think about it in terms of going to heaven and being with God and Jesus forever. So I want to think about that because I'll tell you something. Sometimes grown-ups need a reminder, I need to let the grass grow and I need to spend time with my kids and my family or spend time with grandma and grandpa. And you know, you got to have your homework done before school. Don't don't skip your homework. But remember that you got to spend time with each other. And you've got to learn about God and be, be love and, and show Jesus' love to all the people around you. And moms, you might have to let that laundry sit for a night, all right? It's okay. There will be more tomorrow. So that's what, uh, that's what the lesson in Ecclesiastes tells us today. So those things are important. They keep us busy, but they're really not the most important things. So maybe even as we do some of these things, we'll think about the more important stuff, like God and Jesus and being with him. Let's say a quick prayer. Dearly Father, thank you, thank you for these young hearts and minds today. And Lord, as we are always busy with all these things, just help us please to keep good perspective about the things that are meaningful and most important in our lives. And then maybe some of the things that, when we think about your awesome love and power, are, are a little more meaningless than we realize. So help us keep things in order this week. Keep us safe and healthy as we continue to learn and grow in our wisdom and stature with you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Clinton. You guys can head back to your seats. And as the choir comes forward, I want to just share a couple, uh, highlight a couple more announcements and things for you. Uh, First of all, uh, the parenting class that's been in your bulletin uh, will begin next Sunday during the Sunday school hour. A few of you have signed up already, and I hope there's still opportunity for others to sign up as well. You know, our desire for that class is, of course, uh, for, for parents of all seasons of life and ages, parents of young kids, parents of teenagers, parents of adult children, because I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other as we seek to navigate life and be the best parents that we can be. Um, and so if you're still interested in it, there's a, still a sign-up sheet back there. And also the book that we're going to be working through, the book Parenting by Paul David Tripp, we do have copies available at the Info Center too. So if you're planning to attend the class, I encourage you to take one of those books with you. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about those first couple chapters next week as we uh, begin the class together. 
Um, so, you're, of course, you don't have to read the book to be part of the class, but we think you'll get the most out of the class if you're able to read the book ahead of time because that's going to be the focus of our discussion. Um, today's offering does go to support Jim and Carol Sheffield. Um, they work with Ethnos 360 as administrators of an assisted living facility in Florida. They serve retired missionaries who have ministered all over the world. And now they have an opportunity to care for those that have spent their entire lives uh, sharing the gospel with people all over the world. So that's our offering today. I invite the deacons to come forward at this time as the choir sings our special music.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And just a reminder, this is Solomon speaking. So when you hear I, that is who I is, is Solomon. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All, fl- all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the stream comes from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, some more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all things, all that is done under the heavens. What a heavenly burden, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Thanks, Maria. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Lord God, we gather here this morning uh, for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to sing your praises, uh, to be in your presence, and to worship you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we've had opportunities to do that this morning through song, through prayer, even through fellowship, Lord. And now we have an opportunity to do that by reading and studying your word together. And so we thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds to what you, and, and soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And I pray your Holy Spirit would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I know the passage that Maria just read for you is, is probably not the most uh, encouraging or uplifting passage that we could read in church this morning, right? If any of you have read Ecclesiastes, you know that uh, for the first 11 chapters or so, the, the outlook of uh, the perspective that is, is presented from Solomon's perspective is, is pretty pessimistic, right? And you see it summed up in those phrases, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's why it's important as we study God's word together, and this is a principle for Ecclesiastes, but it's also true for other passages of Scripture, that we must make sure we're taking the meaning in its proper context and understanding the message as a whole, because the trajectory of the book of Ecclesiastes helps us to understand what the author is trying to communicate. 
few years ago, I guess it's probably more than a few years ago, but back uh, 15 years ago or so, uh, Tim Tebow was a football player at the University of Florida. Of course, he went on to an NFL career, but when he was in college, he was considered probably one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time in terms of success and uh, what he was able to accomplish. And Tim Tebow got a lot of spotlight, not just for his performance on the field, but also for his Christian faith. And Tim Tebow was not ashamed to display that on and off the field. Cameras would often catch him praying off to the side. And uh, and, and one game in particular, I'm sure it was more often than this, but I remember one game in particular, they got a close-up picture of his face. And right there on the eye black, he had written the words, or somebody else obviously did, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 is a passage that that many people point to, right? And it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? It's a great passage and it's it's a verse that encourages us to live for the Lord, right? And to do that, taken that way, it may seem like it's a verse that says that we can accomplish whatever we set our minds to because God is going to give us the strength to do it. Now, unfortunately, if you were to read Philippians 4.13 in context, which we will hear in a little bit, that verse is not about being the greatest college football player of all time or accomplishing your personal goals. Philippians 4.13 is primarily about being content in all circumstances, being able to endure all things, including hardship and suffering and loss, because it is Christ who gives the strength to do it. You see, it's important to read a verse in its context. It's important to understand the larger picture of the passage so that we can better understand what the uh, biblical authors and, and by extension what the Holy Spirit is intending to communicate. Philippians 4.13 is primarily not about being a better football player. It's about enduring hardship and enduring all circumstances because God is the one who provides the strength to endure. And so I, I bring that up because if we go back to Ecclesiastes, and, and I hope that through our Bible reading plan, many of, many of you have been reading through it, we can take verses like chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. We can look at verse 14 that says, I have seen all things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And we can come away very discouraged, right? We can think, all right, then what's the point of anything, right? Why are we here? And that's why it's important to take these passages in the greater context of the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole. For the first 11 chapters or so, the author is is working through uh, looking at the perspective of what it means to live life under the sun. And that's a very important phrase I'll be back to in just a moment. But his conclusion is that if life is all you see, If life is just the things that are in front of your face right now that you can sense with your your five senses, then life is pretty meaningless. But that's not the end of the story because the, the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing us in a particular direction in that we can find meaning, we can find significance, we can find purpose, not in things under the sun, but in, a, in the relationship with our creator God and our loving Savior. And so that's the direction we're going. He's, he presents a problem to us, and the problem is that everything under the sun is ultimately meaningless. And he, he, he dissects that in great detail in order to point us to the ultimate truth in that true meaning and significance comes 
in relationship with God. And so the problem that he presents is that everything under the sun is meaningless. I said I'd be back to that phrase because it's a phrase that's repeated multiple times in chapter 1 and also throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. As Solomon uh, presents his case and talks about all the ways he's tried to find meaning in this life, he always references them to being under the sun. And, And at first glance, it may seem like that is a way to just talk about all creation and all of life's experiences. But it's a, it's a signal phrase, right? He's referring to life in this world apart from God under the sun as a way to reference just what we see here and now, this physical world that God has created for us to live in. And so he's, he goes through all these different scenarios and tries to find meaning and significance and purpose in those things apart from the Lord. You see, that's his conclusion is that if we pursue those things apart from God without reference to him or without acknowledging him, then of course we will find a lack of meaning and purpose in this life. And so Ecclesiastes, in these first few chapters, uh, Solomon talks about several different situations, uh, different pursuits, I should say, uh, that he tries to find meaning in. He talks about wisdom and how there is a lack of meaning in worldly wisdom, right? Think about Solomon's life and all that he accomplished. You go back to, you know, first Kings and, and look at his life and, and what he did. He was considered the wisest person to ever live. He was considered one of the wealthiest people to ever live. He accomplished many great things. He had all sorts of, of, of material and worldly pleasures at his fingertips. And he goes through each one of them in turn. He talks about wisdom. He talks about pleasure and wealth. He talks about toil in terms of human achievements and accomplishments. And at the end of the day, Solomon, who was the greatest ever in some of these areas, realized that they in and of themselves don't bring meaning. Again, think of Solomon. He was the wisest person to ever live. And yet he said all that the accumulation of all that knowledge didn't bring meaning. He was the wealthiest person in that time. He accomplished, in, in First Kings list, just all of the wealth he had accumulated. And in fact, at one point it says that gold and silver were so common in Solomon's kingdom that they became practically worthless. Just think about that for a second, right? Supply and demand, uh, that, that things that we consider precious commodities were considered worthless. He accomplished many great achievements, including the, the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. And at one point at the end of his life, it is listed that he had hundreds of wives and concubines. So if anybody could find meaning in the material pleasures of this world, it was Solomon. He had wealth, he had power, he had uh, uh, worldly pleasures. He had all knowledge and wisdom, and yet his conclusion after a lifetime of experiencing those things is that there is no meaning in them. In fact, if you're following along in your Bibles, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. Again, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. 
Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Think about that. Think about what Solomon is saying. He had access to so much, and yet he said, and, and he said he denied himself no pleasure, which meant he, he just gave himself over to all sorts of worldly pleasures. Yet in the end, it was meaningless. Now you may say to yourself, well, that's Solomon, right? That was a long time ago. But if we think about the things that Solomon is, is pursuing here, not much has changed in the last few thousand years, has it? We still pursue wealth. We still pursue power. We still pursue pleasure. We still pursue human achievements and recognition. And we think that we'll find meaning in those things. We think that if we just have a little bit more money, we'll finally be happy. We think that if we just get that one promotion, we'll finally be happy. We think that if, we'll, if we accomplish something great, people will remember us. We still pursue those things that Solomon, Solomon pursued all that long ago. And yet we still, if we're honest with ourselves, come to the same conclusion. That in the end, those things are meaningless in themselves. And we try to find meaning in all sorts of other ways too, don't we? Whether it's through uh, uh, approval from other people, right? We, we find a lot of, we try to find meaning in what other people think of us, right? So many of us find ourselves being people pleasers and trying to, trying to have a good reputation so that people will like us and approve of what we do. We find our meaning in our identity, right? In, in a self-determined or self-defined identity. We think that if we can just define who we are and, and over and against all other authorities or over against all other ways of doing things, then we'll finally be happy because we'll be true to ourselves. Our society is full of this idea of radical individualism, right? That, that we are autonomous, that we can define things for ourselves. And if I can just throw off all constraints, if I can just be myself and not have anybody tell me what to do, then I'll finally be happy. But over and over and over again, no matter what you pursue, if you are pursuing that thing under the sun, if you are pursuing meaning and significance apart from God, we all end up at the same conclusion that Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so that's the problem, right? Where do we find our meaning? If we try to find it in those other things, we're all going to be disappointed in the end. And that is where Ecclesiastes 12 comes in. And so I encourage you to flip to Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to the end of the story. I remember some time ago I used uh, my mom as a sermon illustration. At that time she wasn't living in New Knoxville and she's here now. So now I got to rethink how I present this, but I was never a fan of people that read the end of the story first. That's what my mom loved to do that. She would get a new book, she'd read the end of the story and, and know where it's going, and that helped her to enjoy, right, the reading the rest of the novel. I couldn't stand it. I just didn't understand why somebody would want to do that. Well, that's what we're doing here today with Ecclesiastes, because if we know where the story's going, if we know the conclusion that Solomon eventually comes to, it helps us then to understand where we find our meaning in life. 
And so for 11 chapters, Solomon reflects on uh, the, the, the meaning of life and where it's found. And he eventually comes to this conclusion. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then he goes on to talk about how it's important to do that before we get too old, right? And before we return, before our spirits return to God who gave it. And then in the final verses, looking down to verse 13, he says, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or or evil. So Solomon, after a lifetime of pursuing meaning in other places and everything under the sun, he comes to the conclusion that real meaning and significance isn't found in those things, but it is found in remembering and committing yourself to God. You see, there's a reason why those other things all fail us. And he explores those things throughout the book. There's three that I want to highlight for you now. One is that is that, as, as Clinton so well, did so well highlighting for us in Children's Chat, is that things seem to just go on forever. Work, no matter what you accomplish, the sun will set and rise in the morning independent of what you do. And life just seems to go on endlessly and therefore meaninglessly. Solomon also seems to point out that, that observing life, that things are just uncertain and un, unjust. So, for example, in chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 8, uh, verse 14, he says, Therefore, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. Right? So, Solomon observed in his life that life is sometimes uncertain and unfair, that those who deserve to be blessed are not blessed, that those who deserve to be cursed are not cursed. And so there is an uncertainty and an injustice baked into this experience of life, which causes us to question whether it has meaning or significance at all. And the third thing that, is, that Solomon points to too is the certainty of death and how it is the common fate that all people experience. If you flip back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you see that Solomon observes that, that humans and animals both suffer the same fate. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, I also said this to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they see that they are like animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from the dust, and to dust all return. Right? So Solomon observes that, that the fate of all people is the same whether righteous or whether unrighteous, right? Whether wealthy or whether poor, whether sinners or not, right? Every person, well, I should say that's not really a category we, di we differ in, right? We're all sinners in need of a savior. All suffer the same fate. We are all destined to die one day. 
And so if that is our perspective, if, if everything that is done under the sun appears to be meaningless because it just goes on forever, that it is uncertain and unfair and that it all ends in the same way, he then points us to where we find our meaning. And that is in remembering our creator and keeping God at the center of our lives. And then by extension, being content in all circumstances. You see, I just highlighted um, remembering our creator, right? Keeping him at the center of everything that we do. That is what he calls us to in the end. See, God has created us to know him, to love him, to serve him, to be in a relationship with him. And it is that relationship, it is living in that context that then brings meaning and significance to all those other things. You see, that's an important fact for us to remember here today is that those other things are not unimportant. Right? The work that we do, the, the, the wealth that God has blessed us with, the, the pleasures that we can experience in this life, all are good and, and ultimately come from God. And so we can enjoy them, we can experience them in their proper context when we do it in relation to who God is, that he made us, and that he has called us for a purpose. You see, that's where meaning comes from. That's why, that's why you can find enjoyment in your work, in your family, in the, the circumstances that God has placed you, is because you know, you understand them in their proper context and relationship. And that's where true contentment comes from. To go back to what Paul said in Philippians 4, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Right? Because we know what it is to be in want. We know what it is to have plenty. In fact, why don't we read that passage together? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need or I have learned to be... I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. For I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether plenty, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, in Christ, we can find contentment in this life. And I think there's a big difference between being content and being complacent, right? Being complacent is, is kind of just throwing your hands up in the air and say, well, it doesn't really matter. Nothing really matters. And so I'm just going to, find enjoyment where I can, or just walk, go through the motions in this life. But contentment, real God-given contentment comes from a relationship with the Lord. It comes from knowing him and who he is and what he's done for us and allowing that truth to impact everything that we do so that we can find joy in our work. We can find joy in our family. We can find joy in whatever circumstance God has given us because of him. see those three things that I mentioned earlier, the reasons why life under the sun is meaningless. Christ has an answer for all three of those things. So first I said that, that life appears meaningless because it seems to just go on and on and on. That everything just continues on forever and nothing really changes. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, in Christ, we understand that that is not the case. That, that God is sovereign over all things and that he is moving us toward the end that he has ordained for his people. 
that life will not just, the world will not just continue on endlessly one season after another, but one day Christ will return and Christ will establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have hope that, that God is working in this world and that he is moving us toward a specific end. And so that does bring meaning to this life because what we do matters, right? If we're just aiming for human achievement and recognition, those things will be gone. But if we work to further his kingdom, if we, if we put value in the things that God values, those things will last and those things will make an eternal impact. Second, we said that things just seem unjust and unfair and that there's a lot of uncertainty in this life. But again, in Christ, we have confidence that he will right all those wrongs. Yes, Sin has impacted this world and everything that we do. It has impacted your life. It's impacted my life. It's impacted the very creation that God has made. And yes, we experience the impact of sin in this world. We experience injustice. We experience uncertainty. And sometimes there are bad things that happen to good people that we just cannot explain. But if we believe that God is who he says he is, if we believe that Jesus is returning, and then we also believe that there is right and wrong in this world. There is good and bad. And that when Jesus comes back, he will establish his kingdom in justice and fairness. And, and he will right all the wrongs that we've experienced. And all, all of sin and the effects of sin will one day be put aside. And so, yes, life does seem unfair at times. But in God's sovereignty and his faithfulness and his goodness, we have hope that he is going to right all the wrongs that we experience in this world. And finally, the inevitability of death. As Solomon observed in Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless because we all die and we all return to the ground and nothing we do really matters because that is our fate. Fate if we are in Christ. In his death and his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death for us. He has gone into the grave and opened it up he has risen to new life so that we too can experience new life in Christ. And so if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in him, death does not have the final word. Death is not the end. It is simply our transition into eternal glory with him forever. And so when our days are numbered, which they are in this earthly life, our days under the sun are numbered but we have confidence and we have hope that one day we will set aside these mortal bodies and we will enter into eternity with him. And that is where our hope resides. Death, from a worldly materialistic perspective, has the final say and renders everything meaningless. But if we have faith in Christ, we know that death has been overcome, death has been conquered, and that God has given us new life in Christ, a new life that begins now. We can experience that newness of life now and it will carry over into eternity. I want to end by reading a couple quotes I came across this week that I think sum up that final truth so well for us. The poet George Herbert said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Death used to be the end of all things, right? And that was the sentence, that was the execution sentence that he has placed that, that had, uh, was the common fate for all of us. 
But in the gospel, death is no longer an executioner. He's been rendered a gardener. These bodies that are planted in the ground will one day rise again to new life. And finally, the, the, the pastor and missionary D.L. Moody, uh, and in fact, in the, the very year that he died, he said this in 1899, someday you will read that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I am at that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. That is our hope. That brings meaning to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this hope that we have in you. We thank you that in Christ, our sins are forgiven and that in Christ, we have been given new life. And that brings meaning to everything that we do. It gives us joy. It gives us contentment. It gives us satisfaction in these circumstances that you've placed us in. And it also helps us to look beyond our circumstances into the new life that you've given us. I pray, God, that you would grant us an understanding that impacts our lives today as well as our eternal, our eternal destiny. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we close our service today. I invite you to stand and sing our final hymn with us, which is number 376 in the hymnals. I have decided to follow Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.